All right. Well, we're glad you're with us this morning. It's an exciting day for us. It's a special day for us. And uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn in them to Acts chapter 2. So does anybody know what they were doing 20 years ago this day? I know where I was. Right here for the very first time. It was 20 years ago today that Calvary Chapel Cardinals started as a church. And this year we are going to be celebrating that 20th anniversary all year long. And we're going to start off this celebration this year with a special series called The Spirit of the Church. It is a series that we did 20 years ago when we first started the church to tell everybody who is attending our church what our church is all about, how we are going to operate as a church. Now, let me just have a a quick little uh, uh, raising of the hands. How many were with us 20 years ago for our very first service here at Calvary? Look at that. Okay, I, I think there were some others. I think we have a picture, Brian, don't we? Okay, um, this was our very first Sunday at Calvary Chapel. Look at us. Holy, I had hair. Look at that. I don't know what's going on with Pastor Joe. He ain't too happy about that dove or something. Only Chris could sport the white pants like that. Yeah, we don't either, Chris. I mean... Holiness comes a lot of, through the word, not through the, not through the pants. Um, these were pictures from our very first service 20 years ago. We started at Carpentersville Middle School. We started in a lobby. We weren't even in the theater. We were in the lobby of the theater. And this church started simply as a Bible study grew too large for a home here in the Algonquin area. And we moved and started our first Sunday service 20 years ago today. That's pretty amazing. Praise the Lord. When we started, we really wanted to allow the Lord to do all that God wanted to do in and through us. And so we felt that the very first thing that we should do as a church is kind of tell everybody who's attending our church what our church is all about. And so we took a very, very uh, high-level look at the second chapter of Acts to get an idea of what the church, when it originally started, uh, what it was meant to look like, what it was all about, uh, what was to make up the church, and what were we should be doing as a church and not doing as a church. But again, we took a very high-level look at this chapter. And as we looked at it, we drew some very simple principles from this chapter that really launched us into the uh, church that we are currently today. And we believe that these principles are timeless. Even though everything around us has changed, and we would all agree with that, right? Things have really changed over the last 20 years. I mean, just look at those pictures. I mean, mullets are finally gone. And, um, and white pants. And I'm never going to get those white pants. That's just, 
I mean, wow. Um, but that being said, things have changed. But the Word of God is timeless. And the principles that He lays down for His design and architecture of the church is timeless. One of the problems that we are facing here in this nation today that has really led to what I would like to call the impotency of the church is when we feel as individuals, as humans, we can do church better than what God designed church to be. I think we get into a lot of trouble at that point. I think that we have tried to reinvent church so many times here in this nation simply to keep people interested in coming. But we adopted principles from the very beginning that demonstrated that it wasn't our job to keep the church going, it was God's job to keep the church going. You see, this is His church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It is His church. And we believe that He started it and He will continue it as long as He desires it to go. Today, church planting is a big subject. Many churches have attempted church plants. Many churches in this area have attempted church plants in other places. And unfortunately, we are now at a success rate of less than 23% of church plants actually continue to full fruition. That's over 75% that fail. And we have seen church plants given tens of thousands of dollars to start. That they could have all the modern equipment, that they could uh, build a facility, uh, they could uh, have all of the bells and whistles that you would hope and desire and want within a church, and yet they still fail. And people have wondered, why have they failed? Well, one of the questions that I would ask is, has God actually led you to start that church or is it an endeavor that you took on in your own ability and flesh? That's a question that needs to be asked. When we started Calvary Chapel Cardinal, when we believed that the Lord was leading us, we had a Bible study going, a healthy, vibrant Bible study that met every Wednesday night. And it was growing. And we moved into a school, Carpentersville Middle School, and it was growing. But we discovered that many who were coming to that Bible study didn't have a church on Sunday morning. And my pastor looked at me and he said, hey, have you ever thought about starting a church? I said, no, no, not at all. Not in the least. No, nope. Uh Uh-uh, not He goes, okay. I was at the time a director of operations for a very large computer store. And my wife and I were making good money. I was serving as an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel of Elk Grove. I served in almost every ministry at that church. I couldn't fathom starting another church because I felt that we had so many churches out there already. Why start another one? And yet God was leading completely differently. And my pastor saw that and he just continued to pray. And as we were praying and as we were considering starting the church, um, I told him, 
that I have a very, very demanding job at this moment. It was so demanding that literally I was working over 75 to 80 hours a week at times. And that was seven days a week. And I told my pastor that I would probably even have to step down as an assistant pastor because I couldn't be there when needed. And he said, okay, Eric, he goes, I really feel that God is leading you to start a church out in the area where you have the Bible study. But let's take one week to pray and to fast and ask the Lord what he would want to do here in this circumstance. If you need to step down at the end, I understand, but let's take one week to fast and pray. I said, okay. So we began to pray for that week. And the week went by, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And at the end of the day, Friday, I was getting ready, literally, I was putting my briefcase together. I was getting ready to leave uh, my, my office and leave the uh, company for that, for that weekend. And I was getting ready to leave when all of a sudden the vice president of the company pulled me into his office and he said, Eric, I've got some bad news for you. We're eliminating your position. And they gave me an exorbitant severance package. So I took the check. I got in the car. I'm driving over to my pastor's house. I didn't even tell my wife I got laid off. I went to my pastor first. And I went to his door. I knocked out. He was just about to sit down for dinner. And he said, okay. He says, I understand if you have to step down. He goes, I go, no, I got laid off. He goes, praise God. And we prayed that night together. And I think Dina came over to his home also. We prayed that night together. And God laid it on our hearts that it was time now to start this church. That severance package carried me through my time in uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College. And it also allowed this church to start. And we had every penny that we ever needed down to the very last thing. And right when we were about to spend the last few dollars of that severance package, the Lord provided a part-time job for me to continue on and to serve this church as the pastor. And God just showed his hand in it from, from the very beginning until this day that he wanted this church to begin. We had that assurance. And someone said to me, as long as you know God is in it, then what is there to fear? Why would you be concerned? It's God's responsibility, not yours. Just trust him by faith. So we began this series looking at Acts chapter 2 together as a church. And the very first thing that we discovered as we take this high level pass over Acts chapter 2 is that everything begins and ends with the Spirit. The very first thing that we will see in and be shown is that the Spirit of God must be actively involved in the church for the church to be a healthy, thriving, living church. And as we begin in verse 1, we come to that day, the day of Pentecost, for it had arrived, and they, that is the disciples, who were now waiting there, were all together in one place, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as the fire appeared to them 
and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. As one wrote, he said this, This was the occasion when the followers of Jesus received the power that was needed to carry out the mission of Jesus in the world. And so we begin. And the very first observation that we made is that we need to be a spirit-led church. There is no option that is more in, there is no other option available for a healthy, vibrant, living church than to be a spirit-led church. Now I'm going to clarify what I mean by that in just a moment. But I see from the very beginning, and again we are talking about the baptism of the Spirit upon these disciples for the very first time there in Jerusalem as the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit has finally come upon them. It was a unique experience an experience that um, showed and demonstrated that Christ was exactly who he said he was. He is now fulfilling the promise of the Father to send the Spirit to his disciples to allow them to be the witnesses that he has called them to be. This is a very important event in the beginning of the church. And we have to understand and realize why were they all gathered in one place together appearing to seemingly be waiting for something to happen. Why didn't they just run out and start marketing themselves in Jerusalem? A new move of God is now going to begin. Why didn't they start, you know, looking for property or looking at demographics? Or why didn't they start, you know, again, advertising on the local Jerusalem radio station at that time? And why didn't they start all these other things? No, they just sat there and they simply waited. And what they waited for was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they did so because that's what was commanded them to do. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 1. In verse 6, as they are speaking to the risen Lord just prior to his ascension and return to heaven, they say to him, so they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went and behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus, uh, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So this is his last words before his ascension. They're saying, now is the time, Lord, you're finally going to restore Israel, which is a theological discussion that we can have for another time. They wanted Israel to be once again raised to its place of zenith as it had experienced under King David, thinking that Jesus was going to assume the throne at that moment 
as their Messiah and King, but that wasn't yet the plan of God. And basically, what he basically goes and tells them is, I want you to wait. I want you to go and wait. And I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to come upon you, epi, in the Greek. He's going to come upon you overflowing in a unique way. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, when God anointed someone with the Holy Spirit, it was an individual anointing. God gave a prophet the anointing of the Spirit at a certain period of time to allow that individual to carry on the work and the ministry that God had for them. In fact, David was anointed with the Holy Spirit, but he prayed at one point a prayer that you and I would never consider asking of God. He prayed and said, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. See, that's something that you and I in the new covenant don't even concern ourselves with. Because each and every believer in Christ has been given the Holy Spirit. It is part of our regeneration and our new birth. And as we continue growing in Christ, at times we are filled with that Spirit to overflowing Times where God will empower us for service and uh, he will um, allow us to grow uniquely or uh, use us in some dynamic way and fill us with the Spirit overflowing. And that can happen numerous times throughout the course of our Christian life. But with the arrival of the Spirit, Jesus was saying that before you do anything, before you can truly become my witnesses, and that's the word that we have to look at, Before you can become my witnesses, you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do so. Now they had the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was given to them by Jesus when he breathed on them in John 20. But now this unique third relationship, this overflowing, this baptism of the Spirit as some call it, filling of the Spirit as others call it, has now uniquely come upon all of them who are gathered in that upper room. And he says, until this happens, you cannot be the witnesses. This is the power that I'm giving you to be those witnesses. That dudamis, that's the word in the Greek. That power that is dynamic to allow you to carry on the mission that that I have for you. And you see such unique change in the disciples after that point. Peter especially. Peter who was fearful and denied the Lord three times is now going to be before all who are in Jerusalem questioning the, the uh, actions of him, and he now proclaims the gospel in such a unique way that 3,000 people will get saved. Such a unique thing. Such a unique difference. But I believe that before we get into anything else in Acts chapter 2, we have to understand the Spirit's role within the church. Now this is a category of theology that is not as well uh, written upon as the theology of understanding the Holy Spirit's relationship to the individual believer. That has been well documented. This one is a little bit more difficult to see the Holy Spirit's role in the church. But we see that before the church could ever begin, the Holy Spirit was needed. Now, some of you at this point may be somewhat fearful because It sounds now like, Pastor, you're getting into a very Pentecostal or charismatic understanding of the Spirit of God. And what I'm trying to say to you is that the Spirit of God is the lifeblood of the church. We cannot do and fulfill what God has asked us to do apart from Him. 
Do we know of occasions of spiritual activity that really in actuality isn't of the Spirit at all? Yes, we do know of that. But because of those incidents, let's not throw out everything concerning the Holy Spirit. That's way too common of a uh, position today. And one of the most least understood dynamics of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is that of the Holy Spirit. Because people right away assume the worst when you say we want to be a Spirit-led church. Great, we're all going to be running around barking like dogs and laughing uncontrollably. Really? I don't think that's the case at all, and it's never happened here in 20 years. And I'm going to show you at the end of our time together the practicalities of being a Spirit-led church that I think are unparalleled by any other attempt to doing church and to allowing church to come to fruition and fulfill the ministry of God that He has for us. But let us begin by understanding that the Spirit came upon them in a very unique way. They demonstrated this by that the in the room in which they were at, and Pentecost was a feast, it was common for them, it was a fall feast, it happened 50 days after Passover. And as they are there in the upper room, they are simply waiting. Many believe they are praying, but the Word doesn't tell us that. But they are simply waiting. And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I apologize for that. That is a technical issue up here. We'll fix that for next week. A mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. What we see demonstrated before us is something very unique. The rushing wind speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit. The tongues of fire speak of the presence of God. God is now physically present with his disciples. Not only the twelve, but all who were sitting there received the Spirit. It wasn't contained to just the twelve. Everyone did. And you will see that as the, the book of Acts continues to play out. But in actuality, what they were waiting for is something that had been promised by Jesus much earlier and spoken about in John's Gospel several times. So to anticipate the arrival of the Spirit and to truly understand the impact of it, let us journey back to John's Gospel starting in John 14. And you'll begin there with me in verse 15. And as we take a look at this together, we understand that this is a fulfilled promise that Jesus made his disciples, and now it is coming to fruition, demonstrating that he is exactly who he said he was, but also working to their advantage to give them the power that they need to be the witnesses that they need to be. Let's talk about that for a moment before we look at the promise of the coming spirit. The word witness in Greek is a very unique word. It means one who is proclaiming and testifying on behalf of God. Meaning that you would be brought before a court and put up on the stand and you would be a witness on God's behalf, on his existence and all that he is doing, etc. But there is a uniqueness to this word that it also means something more. In the proclamation of the gospel, of who God is, being a witness on his behalf. There also is the necessity, or I should say by necessity, the reduction of one's personal self. 
So in this particular word witness, we also have the understanding of martyrism. So what he is saying is this, to be the witness that I require you to be, it is going to cause you to die to yourself to allow you to become the witness that I've raised you up and created you and desire you to be. Does that make sense? So to be the witness that God wants us to be, we have to die to ourselves. And we can only die to ourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he is getting to here. And so as we look at this, we see the necessity now of the Spirit to become these witnesses and to fulfill these missions and purposes that God has for us, this on an individual basis, and then we'll get to the practicality of a church um, being led by the Spirit in just a moment. But in John chapter 14, let's begin in verse 15. Just we'll read these together. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will leave you, not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and then the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, and you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Say that quickly. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas Iscariot said to him, Judas not Iscariot, excuse said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? and not to the world. And Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But, verse 26, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. And peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives uh, do I give to you. And let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as my Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. John 15, he states, verse 26 and 27, But when the Helper comes, whom I ascend to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then when you get to John 16, verses 4 to 15. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. 
But now that I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now you might want to underline this. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear. Them, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is Mine, therefore I said that He will take what is of Mine and declare it to you. Did Jesus actually just tell them that the coming to the, the Holy Spirit would be to their advantage? Allowing them to fulfill the ministry in which God has called them to fulfill. Paul clearly teaches that Christ is the head and the church is the body of Christ, continuing to fulfill the ministry that he started in his own personal life while he was here on this earth, now the church is meant to continue in that same manner and God has given us the power to do so by giving us the Holy Spirit to do just that. And so now we must ask ourselves the question, as the Holy Spirit now has come upon the disciples there in Jerusalem, And they demonstrated this coming by speaking in other tongues, languages of the earth that they did not previously know or had been formally trained in. They spoke in an example of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming upon them in such a unique and dynamic way. Now, again, we're not getting into an exposition of Acts 2 per se, but I just want to make this general point. It was clear to me that if our church was going to be fruitful, if our church was going to be healthy, if our church was going to fulfill the ministry in which God has called us to, if our church was going to be long-lasting, it had to be a church that was started and then led by the Holy Spirit. We didn't want to do something that we just thought was a good idea to do because not all good ideas are God ideas. And so we waited on God. And after my pastor asked me and said, okay, now that you've been fired, when are you starting the church? I said to him, I said, I need to still pray about this whole church thing. So I went to a couple of the gentlemen in the Bible study. Joe Puisiak, who is still with us, and Jim Author is home with the Lord. And I said, guys, I believe that God may be leading us to start a church. And their reactions were priceless. Really? Hmm. Church? Really? Yeah, and I want you guys to be part of it. I want you to be my assistant pastor and the deacon. Really? Church? 
well, we have to really pray about that, but I guess if you're feeling that, it's just like, what assurance, what confidence going forward. But then as we continued to pray, God made it more apparent to us and more uh, uh, assured, assured us even greater that that's exactly what he wanted. And then within two or three weeks of starting, Chris Frankowski came on board. And what a privilege it is to have all these guys to this day. But why did we want to be a spirit-led church? What does that actually mean, Eric? What does it look like in the study of ecclesiology in the Bible, that is the study of the church? The spirit's role isn't as well-defined as we might like it. So what are you saying about being a spirit-led church? Number one. I believe that within the church we should be able to see the supernatural work of God. That supernatural work is not going to come by any other means than God himself. Unless they are lying signs and wonders that the enemy is rotting to bring people away from the gospel. But one true to the gospel, to accompany the gospel, seeing those dynamic miracles. And do you know that 20 years later, it doesn't surprise me when God does a miracle amongst you. I anticipate it. I look forward to it. Hey, my God can do anything he desires to do. Nothing is too great for my God. And over the years, we have seen such great things of God being done. We had a gentleman some years ago come out to our Wednesday night Bible study. And he was a Bible student at Trinity College up in Deerfield. Coming down, enjoyed the teaching, enjoyed the fellowship. And he was... Uh, diagnosed with a rare nerve disorder. And after one of the Bible studies, he, you know, he was concerned about it. He didn't know if it was going to prohibit him uh, from going into ministry and so forth. So we just prayed and said, Lord, if you would have this man enter ministry and you would have it be your will to heal him of this rare nerve disorder, we ask in Jesus' name that you would do so and do so tonight. Well, unfortunately, I hadn't heard from him again. I'm like, great, he died. That's just the opposite that we prayed for. I'm kidding. And then three months later, he emailed me back and said, Pastor, I am so sorry it took so long to get back to you, but I just had to confirm through my doctors what has been happening. And sure enough, God healed me of that nerve disorder, and they are totally perplexed by it, but I know exactly why I have been healed from it. And I said, all glory to God. God can do incredible things. Why shouldn't we anticipate incredible things from God? Why do we limit our prayers and thinking God is bound to the same limitations that I have? Do you know how many times I have seen God provide for this church in such a unique and dynamic way when we had absolutely no money or very little money? One time I remember we had uh, a, a bunch of bills stacking up. We had just had a pipe burst in the, in the church and we had that all fixed. And we literally got down to about $246 in the offering. I'm sorry, $246 in the checking account. And we're like, great, now that's not going to cover it. So what did we do? We put a thermometer up here 
And we started asking everybody for money so the thermometer would go up and down. Is that what we did? No. You know what we did? We prayed. And we said, Lord, this is your church. We, we don't have the funds, Lord, but you know what? If you want things to continue, you will have things to continue. And uh, the very next Sunday, $7,000 was provided. Nobody knew except God. We didn't tell anybody that story except the leaders. And now I'm telling you today. And God provided everything over and over and over and over again. God has provided. God has healed people. God has led people to Christ through this church. And that's one of the greatest miracles of all. To have a supernatural church, you have to have a supernatural God who is able to work in supernatural ways. And God does so through the Holy Spirit, through the church. Number two. In contrast to the leading and driving of the flesh, being led by the Spirit is just the opposite. It is not an A-type personality that is moving this church. It is not someone who is a Christian celebrity moving the church. It is not some uh, vast amount of money that is moving the church or a great marketing scheme that is moving the church. It is God who is moving the church. And so we may be this size forever. That was never our intent. We never wanted the largest church in the area. All we asked God for was a healthy church. That's what we asked for. And so by being led by the Spirit, we knew that the Spirit was going to lead us where He wanted us. Not necessarily where we wanted to go, but where He wanted us, and we would be the most fruitful. And I truly believe that after 20 years, that has been the secret to our longevity is that the Spirit has brought us where He wants us when He wants us. We were offered to purchase this property in 2007 as a church, and we could have never purchased it or even come close to purchasing it at the asking price at that time. By 2011, we are leasing the church for a fraction of what they wanted for it as a purchased uh, possession. God wanted us to have the building, but He was going to give it to us in a discounted way. That's God in his timing, in his way of doing things. But I like what A.W. Tozer said, and it's so true. It has been said that if you were to take the Holy Spirit out of the work of the first church, 90% of the work would cease. If you were to take the Holy Spirit out of the work of the church today, only 10% would cease. The church is not a business. And so taking business models and business practices and saying, we're going to grow the church on basis of these foundations, you're going to have an organization, but you're not going to have an organism. Because in an organization, you need, uh, you're never going to find life. And life cannot be given unless it is given through God himself. Number three, (laughs) this is so important. Instead of running to programs, projects, and planning meetings, what you will find is prayer meetings here at church. Because we believe that's how we discern and are led by God is through prayer. Allowing Him to lead us where He wants us to go in the supernatural way that He does. Prayer for the people and the individuals in the book of Acts was always the first choice. It was never the last option. Prayer, seeking God through prayer as a church for all the needs of the church. One of the hardest lessons, though, that we've had to learn is this next one. 
If you are going to be a spirit-led church, you must be a church that is willing to wait, that is trusting by faith on him to move, to move rather than to rushing ahead of the process. This is so important. Waiting on him to move rather than him, are you rushing ahead of him and getting ahead of what he desires for you? If you are going to strive to gain, then you are going to have to strive to maintain that growth. And God is going to bring about things in his plan, in his purposes, in his way, by the leading of the Holy Spirit to bring about natural growth. But we must wait and trust him for it. Now, this is one of the hardest things. Because we've had this numerous times over the last 20 years. Pastor, 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 all these things are falling apart. What are we going to do? We're going to pray and wait. And we're going to see what God wants to do. And God always is faithful to show us what he wants to do. Next, there is a natural growth in the life of the believer. When we teach the word of God, I am fully confident that God takes the word in your life and the Holy Spirit takes that word and then begins to work in you, then to work through you. That's why we do what we do. We teach you the word so that you can grow from the inside out and the Holy Spirit allows you to do that. Applying the Bible there is an organic growth in the individual's life that isn't found in any man-made or man-centered methodology of doing church. There's also unity in the process. Enjoying a unity that only the Spirit of God can bring amongst His people. Next, there's a close adhesion to the Word of God. We need to make sure that we are sticking to the word of God because that's what the Holy Spirit is bolstering. We are not claiming a promise that has nothing to do with us and then expecting God to work and to fulfill that promise. That would be inaccurate. But when we take a promise that God has made to us and that we can rely upon, then we can trust the Spirit to fulfill it. And that's what we do. So there's a close adhesion to the word of God. The next one is a little bit more personal for all of us. A spirit-led church will be worried about personal holiness, but worried about personal holiness. In Acts chapter 2, the spirit comes upon them. In Acts 3 and 4, the church gets started. And by Acts chapter 5, there's a problem. And two individuals come into the church lying about what they have given to make themselves look better than they actually are. Peter then looks at both of them. I'm summing it up for you, but you can read it for yourself there in Acts 5, 1 through 11. And he asks, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And do you know how the Holy Spirit reacted? He struck them dead, both of them. I don't know about you, but I think that would get people's attention. Yeah, I went to Calvary. (laughs) The guy next to me died. Yeah. But if you're a spirit-led church, you have to be concerned about personal holiness. You have to be right with God in your heart. You have to take seriously his word and where the word says to abandon practices and to repent of them, you do so to allow the spirit of God to continue his uninhibited work in and through you. If I'm going to rely on God, then I must be responsible to God for what he has asked me to be responsible for. And therefore, we have a very high standard for the leadership of our church. And hopefully, as we take that standard to heart, 
We rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the grace to overcome those things and to walk away from temptation rather than falling in. It allows us then to serve you with a a pure conscience and a pure heart before God. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Are we saying that individuals here don't struggle with sin? We all struggle with sin and the grace of God is there to meet us. But I do say that if we want the Spirit's work in our life, let us be serious about the Spirit. And not grieving the Holy Spirit with sin, let us be concerned about personal holiness. And lastly, a Spirit-led church has to come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ are the cornerstone to the church. Remember what Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he's going to declare all the things concerning me. He's not going to speak on his own authority, but he's going to speak from what he hears of me and declare it on to you. A Spirit-led church is going to keep Jesus Christ the main thing and the gospel of Jesus Christ the main thing. As we continue on in Acts, we'll look next week at some more of the specifics, but let me read this from Pastor Greg Laurie. From his book, The Upside Down Church. So we need to say this, Greg says. Lord, there is no way that we can impact our culture in our own strength. We can't do it through programs. We can't do it through gimmicks. We can't do it through any of our own devices. We need a power beyond ourselves. We need to be like that little straw thrusted into the telephone pole by the power of the hurricane. Something we could never do in and of ourselves. There's no possible way that we could ever put that straw in that telephone pole. But Lord, we are flimsy. We are weak. We can't do it on our own. But with your power behind us, launching us into this culture, we can make a difference We need that in our lives today to impact the culture in which we live. And he goes on to say, that is where I want to end the service today, he says, with all of us praying for this power in our lives that we may turn our world upside down for Jesus Christ. That was the beginning of it all here at Calvary. This is what we wanted to be part of. We wanted to be part of what God was doing. And whatever that looked like, we just wanted to be part of that. So to begin this 20 year, this 20th year together, I'd like to come together as a church and ask God to give us that power to continue on in our personal service to Him. And as we pray together right now in closing, pray for yourself that God would give you that power in your life to be the witness that God has called you to be. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit that you may be that witness for him. Again, it's the power of Christianity. This is what separates Christianity from every religion of the world is that God not only asks us to behave a certain way and to lead a certain life, but he gives us the power to do that and that is the power of the Holy Spirit itself. Again, the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest misunderstood aspects of theology today. And yet, if you simply read the book of Acts, how powerfully the Holy Spirit worked through that new church, so naturally. 
so wonderfully. He just moved. Nobody tried to control him. They were just simply wanting to follow where he was leading. And God did great things. And I believe that's the same today. The Spirit of God and His ability and power hasn't diminished because we are in the year 2017. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He does not change. That same power that was available to them is available to us today. And so let us take a moment to pray and to ask God to give us that power that we may be all that He desires us to be in Christ.